0: You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, today I've entitled the message, Friend or Foe. One of the hardest things in our day is to determine whether someone is a friend or a foe. Uh, The reality is, is people can be tricky. People can be sneaky. People can seem like one thing on the outside, but inside they can be completely different. Yet deep down inside, the reality is, is they are not what they seem to be on the surface. Jesus really dealt with this throughout His ministry to the people for which claimed to be a friend of Christ, yet ended up being a foe. We saw it after, they sought after the food for which He provided as He spoke about being the bread of life. And He understood and knew their hearts because Jesus Christ is all-knowing. And thus He can see the hearts of those And for which they followed him for, and it wasn't what they thought he would understand, but he knew of their hearts. We saw it when the Pharisees and the Sadducees tried to twist the words of Christ to pretend they were some righteous standard by which everyone else was to follow, and yet Jesus Christ knew inwardly that they were like dead bones twist his words to pin him down. And even we saw it in the man Judas, for which Jesus, if you are reminded in John, selected the twelve knowing that one of them was the devil. And then in chapter 13, he washes the feet of the man who would betray him. He served him. He loved him. He showed him compassion and grace, and yet he was a foe. Not just any foe. He was indwelt with the devil. I think we can all ask ourselves a personal, honest question this morning, and that is if Jesus was standing here or standing with you in your home, would He consider you a friend Or a foe. When it comes to a relationship with Christ, this isn't the idea of you fake it till you make it. You can't fake Christ. You may fake me. You may fake your mother, your father. But the reality is is God is all-knowing. Christ is all-knowing. The Spirit of God is all-knowing. And He knows your hearts. And He knows whether you are truly a friend or a foe. So you have to ask yourself the question. The Bible says you are either for Him or against Him. There is not being lukewarmness. It's either hot or cold. You're either a child of Satan or you're a child of God. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ by the Gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, let's just go ahead and get it out on the table. You are a foe, my friend. And it doesn't matter how close you are until you put your faith in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to know the Bible declares you a foe. So are you a friend or are you a foe? Well, I hope to answer that today as we look at John chapter 15, verses 12 to 17. Turn there, if you will, with me to John chapter 15, verses 12 to 17. Now, one of my New Year's resolutions for this congregation is to bring this thing we call the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. We're going to hold off on some slides for a season. Because I want you to be able to bring your Bibles and be students of the Word of God. And I want you to be able to sift through and work through and find those pages of Scripture. And when I say, turn over here to 1 John chapter 4, I want to hear that all across the board. I think it's a helpful tool as we journey through the Word of God. Here, let's begin in verse 12. Now, last... Time we were back in John. We were in John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. And here we find the continuation of this conversation that Jesus is talking about. He says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one day down his life for his friends. You are, my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. That you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would abide. So whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give you. This, I command you, that you love one another. Here are three things that I want us to consider today as we look and approach the text of Scripture. Number one, I want you to understand the rule. The rule. Number two, the reality. And number three, the result. The rule, the reality, the result. Let's consider first the rule. Here in John, Jesus continues as He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Now while interestingly enough, the text in the original language is not in the imperative here. An imperative is a command. But rather what we find here is that this portion, this verse, is in The subjunctive, you go, well, what's that got to do with anything? Well, I want you to understand it's a charge. It's still a legitimate command, a charge of Christ. While it's not in the imperative, it still draws the idea that this is something you and I as Christians are expected to do. We can certainly still understand from the context that one of the desires that Jesus Christ has out of necessity of being a Christian is that you who profess Christ live by the rule of love. This rule of love has been described in many times in the book of John as well as throughout all of scripture. It's not just some new concept or new idea, rather, it's a reoccurring message over and over and over throughout the book of John and all of scripture. Why? Because God is love. It's a very attribute of God Himself and thus we can determine by those attributes that God is love. And thus Jesus expects you and me to obey that idea for which you and I are called to love. 1 John 4, 8 The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you profess Christ to be your friend, then you must be marked by your love for people. And if you are not marked with love, then you are a foe. Because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. Because as true believers and followers of Christ, as we are reminded from Scripture that God the Son, Jesus Christ, promised that He would ask God the Father to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, to take up residence that He might be with you forever. And thus, when you put your faith in Christ, Ephesians says He takes up residence in you. He seals you with the promise of the Holy Spirit. We find here the triune God. And as the believer and follower of Jesus Christ, you, my friend, are indwelt with the Spirit of God. And thus, the character of God. And God is in you and God is love. Thus, the Christian must, who professes Christ, exemplify this very nature, which is love. Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him you also, after listening to the word of truth, you want to know why we preach the Bible? It's because it's the truth. And after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, he says you were sealed with Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. True Christians, born again believers, are marked by love. They can't help but to love. Because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You say, why? Romans 5, 5. Hope does not put to shame. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given, who He has given to us. Here's a great reminder that when you put your faith in Christ, like you drink water, so He indwells you with the Spirit of promise. God, the Holy Spirit. Let's be real this morning. Let's start out 2022 with personal application. And ask ourselves a legitimate question that only you can determine, are you loving as God expects you to love? as a christian he says here in john 15 verse 12 this is my commandment that you love one another again this isn't some new command flip over to john chapter 13 john 13 in verse 34 love to hear those pages flipping John 13, verse 34, The new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then we flip back to John chapter 15. We see it in here in verse 12, which we've just read. And then we find it again in verse 17. This command, uh, this I command you that you love one another. And then flip over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. In verse 11. At the very back, it's a small book, only a few chapters. John, first John chapter three, verse 11, "For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, When, from the very start, that you, that we should love one another? And then fast forward to verse 23, and this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And love one another just as He gave a commandment to us. Then flip over to 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then look at verse 11. Beloved, if God is so loved, we also ought to what? Love one another. Flip over to 2 John chapter 1, verse 5. Now I ask you, Lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have heard from the beginning and that is what that we love one another Flip over to 1st Thessalonians 1st Thessalonians We're going to look at chapter 4 verse 9 I'll start in verse 8. Consequently, he who set this aside is not setting aside man, but the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning love of the brothers. You have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Now we could continue down this journey of love and love and love, but I think at this point you grasp a continual understanding that there is an expectation for believers to love each other and to love those out in the world. Because if we are not careful, we will begin to hate those who are enemies. So the rule of love applies. Listen to everyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and the Savior. But love in our day is all confused. It's all messed up, isn't it? It's manipulated. It's abused. It's misused by both believer and unbeliever. For the believer, many of the pulpits will withhold truth because they want to fill the seats of their congregation. So they won't talk about the hot topic. Has God called us to do that? Boy, we're going to give an account as preachers for what we teach from the pulpit, I promise you. For the unbeliever, they want to listen, suppress the truth and unrighteousness, as Romans chapter 1 reminds us. They want to call evil good and good evil. (laughs) And when you call it out, they'll tell you what? You're not very loving. You're not very accepting. Listen, the reality is we are called to preach the truth of God's Word and we are to do it in love. It's not that we don't like the person. The sin is what the problem is. But their problem is not with you and the faithful who tell the truth. What the problem is is they don't like the one who gave us the message because they want to be their own God's. They want to make their own decisions. But let me remind you, if you fail to accept the truth of the Gospel, and you begin to conform to the ideas of the world, you are not loving that person, my friend. If the Bible says, homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God, why in the world would I pat you on the back and say, that lifestyle is okay? Does that mean I hate them? Of course not. We just need to preach the Bible. And let God do His own work. But they will say you're not very loving. No, we love you. That's why we're telling you. If we just pat you on the back and walk you to the gates of hell, how is that love? It isn't love. God's love, listen, doesn't tickle your ears. The love of God doesn't approve your sin or my sin at that. Love doesn't walk. It doesn't stand. It doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. Doesn't pat them on the back telling you it's okay. I get it. People don't like their sin being called out. I don't like my sin being called out. But you know what? If you're going to be honest, you are not perfect. And just because you are imperfect and sinful doesn't excuse repentance from your life. The acknowledgement of sin is not repentance. The turning from sin is repentance. Nobody likes our sin called out, but we sure need it. The smelting process for which refining gold is a process that is hard, is hot, but is the only way to get rid of the impurities. The reality is, don't try to twist the Word of God to make it fit and to your feel-good standards. God's Word is sufficient. It is absolutely authoritative and therefore because God said it's best, whether we like it or not. Now, Canada put out the C4 bill and it passed unanimously allowing the government of Canada to arrest pastors for pushing conversion therapy. And what that means is this, is if a pastor approaches someone who has homosexual tendencies and they tell them, you're a man because of God, the way He created you, you know, it's easy to determine whether you're male or female, that pastor can now go to jail for eight years. Wake up! (laughs) Because what's happening up top's about to come here. And it's time we start standing up for truth And we need the majority to stand up the truth. Who cares about how many people come to church on Sunday? The question is how many people are living out church on Monday through Saturday. We need to stand up for truth, folks. I hope pastors all across this nation will preach January 16th a message on moral sexuality. What it is to be a godly man and what it is to be a godly woman. And anything in between is mere sin and confusion. And we ought to do it out of love. Because we care about their souls. Isn't it interesting? It's okay to tell someone they can be a man when they're a girl, but it's not okay to tell them they're a man when they're a man. Is that not a double standard? We we have lost our ever-loving logical mind. The only possible conclusion is that God has turned them over to a depraved mind and absolutely blinded their eyes. We're seeing the unfolding of Romans chapter 1 lived out, but we have something they don't, and that is the message of hope. We need to do it in a loving way, not twist God's word. Love is not fickle, my friends. Love isn't some emotional sensation. Love disciplines. God disciplines, He says, those He loves. Why? Because if you are not disciplined by God when you sin, the Bible says you are an illegitimate child. I don't want to be an illegitimate child. I want to be a child of God and know that I'm a child of God. And so when I step out, I want to repent real quick. God, forgive me for what I just did. That was stupid, arrogant, and prideful. But too many times we want to forget that and move on. Listen, here's another thing. The Bible is not a demo tool. And we have to be very careful. Because you and I who put their faith in Jesus Christ have been forgiven of our sin. And we sometimes forget what we once were. A hater of righteousness. Rebellious. Separated from God. At enmity with God. Yet God, by His grace, through faith, opened our eyes and saved our soul and forgave us of our sin, past, present, and future. We, we, listen, this ain't a Wreck-It Ralph kind of love. The, the, the objective is not to just get the Bible and slam people over the heads. Right? We, we, we do it from... A compassionate heart. There are times to get passionate. And there are times to throw down the tables. Right? But there is a reality. we, We have to be very careful we don't make ourselves out to be Jesus. Because everything He does, He does with righteous indignation. And if I'm not careful, my, quote, righteous indignation will turn real quick to anger. So we have to be careful to understand we're not God and that our rebuke should be done with compassion and with grace because we care for their souls. God loves sinners. That's why Christ died on the cross, my friend. That's why He died for you and me. Just rewind before you knew Christ. How messed up your life was. All of the continual sin that you had going on. God's love for those who trust in Christ. Listen, He holds them in His righteous right hand and promises what? To never let them go. Love has nothing to do with making someone feel good about their sin. Love is love. Love calls out truth. The truth of God's word, our sins what kill Jesus Christ, so that He might be your substitute and my substitute. So the command to love, that sounds easy. it sounds simple, doesn't it? But what does it look like? Because if we have grown up in a culture that has manipulated and misused what love really looks like, then how do we even know we have a good picture of what love is? Well, John 15, 12 says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. How did Jesus love? I feel like we could preach the whole message on just how Jesus loves us. Every day of our life, our, His mercies are new every morning. But listen to 1 John 4, 9. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The fulfillment, the appeasement, the forgiveness of our sins. Listen, Jesus suffered a brutal death on a cross for you and for me so that we might have life and have life abundantly and that we might genuinely show the compassion and love that He has so graciously shown to you and myself. How are you and I loving today? Jesus loved like none other. Jesus' ultimate love was self-sacrificial love, wasn't it? He paid the ultimate price on Calvary, for which he took your place as the only sinless option. And he bore your wrath that you might walk free. He gave up his life and he died for you and for me. And here he says, You and I are to love one another as he loved us. How are we loving one another? How are you loving those in your life? We are to love self-sacrificially. Matthew 20, 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give His life a ransom for many. Listen, in these last days we are told that men and women will be lovers of self, boastful, prideful, arrogant, lovers of money the result, they will be selfish. They don't even understand what it means to serve someone. Always looking to be served, catered to, provided for, pampered. Let me remind every single one of us as we approach a new year that Jesus Christ came to lay down His life, a ransom. And He expects us to love one another the same way. It's the rule of love, my friends. And if you and I are truly born again, you will exemplify this outward characteristic of love. He says here in verse 13, greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ shows us the great example of love by His own deeds. Not just simply by talking about it, posting about it, sending letters about it, living it out. He lived it out. John 3.16 reminds us of this truth of how much God loved us. That He would send His only begotten Son that whoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. It was God's love, my friend, for humanity. He said in John 10.11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd what? Lays down His life for His sheep. He says in Romans five eight, but God what demonstrates His own love toward us in that while yet we were sinners Christ died for us. Jesus loves you, my friend. He died for you. He gave up His life for you. And it's only those who abide in Jesus Christ, as we looked at in verses one to eleven, and are connected to the life giving source Jesus Christ, that you would be able to exemplify this kind of love. So if you find yourself unable to love as Christ expects you to love and to live by the rule of love and forgiveness and grace and mercy, it may be because you're not connected to Jesus Christ in a personal relationship. We ought not expect the world to love like Christ loved. Why? Because they're dead. They're dead on their trespasses and sin. They're slaves to unrighteousness. I want you to know Christ. To make Christ known. And it only comes from a personal relationship with Jesus. Have you placed your faith in Christ? Believe the Gospel. Repented of your sins. This is an action of the will to turn away from sin and turn to Christ. And when you have that inclination of that desire to turn back to sin, you repent and you turn back away from it. And you repent. It means you ask for forgiveness. Admit that you've broken the law of God. When we don't love, that's what we do. No one must believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I delivered to you of most importance the gospel. It is the power unto salvation. The desire of Christ is that you love my friend because he first loved us. So you have to ask yourself a question are you a friend? Or are you a foe? You'll know by the way you love. That's the rule of love. Secondly, I want you to understand the reality. Jesus now says in John 15, 14, You are my friends if you do what I command you. The reality is this, there is a result of obedience. Here I find it interesting that we can claim Christ all day long, but if there isn't, this characteristic of love, obeying the command, the instructions to love, then there is no connectivity to the life given vine, which is Jesus. Isaiah 29:13 says this: then the Lord said, Because his people, because this people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but they remove their hearts from me. And they fear, and the fear and their fear of me is in the command of men learned by routine or habit or rote. Here's the stark truth. You are friend of Jesus Christ if you love. You are my friends, he says, if you do what I command you. Uh, Note one thing here, too, it's very important to understand. It is not the obedience. Check this out. That makes you born again. It is not the obedience, the act of obedience, that makes you saved. It's the characteristic that you live out your life in obedience that proves that there's fruit of conversion. We're not saved by works. The Scriptures are absolutely, emphatically clear by that. There is no works that will ever grant you access into the kingdom of God. Salvation is not by works lest Jesus Christ didn't need to die on the cross. You didn't need to live a good enough life. Galatians 2, 8-10 says, For it is what? By grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourself, but it is a free gift of God. Right? Galatians 2.21 says, if we could be saved by keeping the law, then what? Christ died needlessly. Titus 3, 4, and 5 reminds us, but when the kindness and the affection of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not based on the deeds which we've done in righteousness. How do you get any clearer than that? The only thing you can do then is attack Paul. And now you're attacking the sufficiency of Scripture and there's a whole nother issue there. Listen, salvation is not based upon your deeds. But know this, if there is true conversion in your heart, there is an obedience to love. You can't help it. It comes out. John 13, 35 says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Are you a loving person? Does God pour out His love on you and thus His love pour out of you through your lifestyle? Does your wife think you're loving? You might be able to fool me, but I can tell you who ain't going to fool. It's Mama. Mama. Does your husband know that you're loving wives? Do your children know that you're loving parents? Do your employees know that you're loving? How about your friends? How about the world? Do they know you have the love of God in you? That you love them enough to tell them they need Jesus Christ or they will die and go to hell. Maybe you don't want to say it that way, but somehow, some way, it needs to be said. Because blessed are the feet who bring the good news. I know it says, We will all know because the love you have for each other. We know people in our day, they have a really strange idea of what it is to show love these days. But I find it interesting that Paul, in 1 Corinthians, states at the end of his letter, let all that you do be done with love. He had in the mind the care, the compassion that shows itself how self-sacrificially. This is the kind of love that Christ calls you and me his children. It requires this unconditional commitment to a life of love. Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, 14 commands in that end chapter, let it all be done in love. It was as if Paul had glanced back into all that he had already written throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. As he expressed all that he had dealt with in regards to division and quarrelling among the members in 1 Corinthians chapter three, it seemed that he was going back to the call to love as they dealt with lawsuits between believers in 1 Corinthians six one to eight. He seemed to go back and deal with dealing with selfishness at the Lord's at the Lord's communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and he dealt with jealousy over spiritual gifts in chapter 12 to 14 he he dealt with disorderly worship. In chapter 14 26 to 40 listen Paul wanted to emphasize and remind the Corinthian church that everything they did must be done by love. We will be known by how we love one another. What we do must be accompanied by love. Why? Because if we're going to be claiming Jesus Christ as our friend, we must love as He has commanded us. That's the reality. That's the reality. I'm talking about a biblical love, not this manipulative, misused, humanistic idea of love in our day. But it's it's a Romans twelve ten kind of love. Be devoted to one another. That's strong language. In brotherly love. Giving preference to one another. In honor. Sometimes we just need to honor people. Biblical love. Our human understanding of love in the day is flawed. It's weak. It's incomplete. But the more we look at Jesus, the more we define What love looks like by the one who was absolutely perfect in his love should clarify to you and me what it really is to love. When you don't agree. When you're jealous. When there's selfishness. When there's lawsuits. When there's quarreling among members. I know that never happens. Jesus wants to ha- us to have a better understanding. It's a First Corinthians chapter 13 kind of love. Flip over there. We ain't going to read it. Scott read it this morning. But I want us to pick through it. If I speak with tongues and men and angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. But like the little want, 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 want. Right? Honey, I love you. Want, want. That's what she hears if you've mistreated her. Want, 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 want. You know, I used to say, I can't hear you. Your actions are speaking so loudly. I can't hear a word you're saying. We have the gift of prophecy. No, all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, it's to move a mountain, But I do not have love, I am nothing. What good is all of these things if we don't know how to love well by the One whom loved us the most by dying on a cross for you and for me? We we need to have a Christ-centered, self-sacrificial love for one another. Love is to have a warm regard An interest in another. Cherish. To have affection for human life. We should never come to the place where we hate our enemy, my friends. Because if we hate them, how are they ever going to hear the gospel? If we're not careful, we'll be like Jonah who was called to go to Nineveh. But he knew the grace of God And he wanted them to get what they deserved. And so he ran away from what God had called him to do, and that was to lead his enemies to Christ, to salvation, to deliverance. And if we're not careful, we'll be like a Jonah. And if we're like a Jonah, the storms will come, and the boats will break apart, and the waves will crash over. And the only way will be to be saved by God. Your love will prove not only to them, but to you that you're truly born again from above. And when you and I understand who we are in Christ and our friends understand who we are in Christ, we will love extremely well and God will be glorified for it. You will love in your serving. You will love in your giving. You won't sacrifice that which costs you nothing to the Lord. You will love not only mankind, but you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. So here Jesus continues into verse 15 because you are friends, you are, because you are friends and because you love, he says, I no longer do I call you slaves. For the slave does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friend. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Listen, in obedience there's joy for the Christian. There's an intimate relationship. An engaging relationship for which we know the plans of God for our lives. God has given us His Word. Everything pertaining to life and to godliness. He's revealed these truths to us. Those that are born again, He has made known what His plan is. Jesus is coming back. I don't know. If I knew that, we'd all be rich. But it ain't about money. It's about souls being saved. Know this. Any New Testament church that doesn't tell you Jesus is coming back with the pure flaming wrath and justice of Almighty God isn't worthy of being listened to. Hell is a real place and it's hot. The devil is a real person and he's in control in case you missed it. But God is on the throne and there's a plan. And one day, oh Lord, if He would just come back today, All the good would be contained in heavens. Oh, what a day it will be. We need to love as God calls us to love. Because He has called us friends. And because He has called us friends, the slave, He says, we are no longer called. For the slave does not know what the master is doing, but you, I have called you, friend, for all the things that I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. Listen, there is an intimate relationship for which you know the plans that God has for your life. You say, I don't know the plans God has for my life. You do know the plans that God has for your life. Here's the, here's the will of God for you. That you rejoice always and give thanks in everything. That's the will of God. That you enjoy Him, you worship Him, and you serve Him until He comes back and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, the slave, on the other hand, only knows he is to obey. He doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't know what the master's intentions are. He doesn't know the implications of what the master is doing. But you have been given the knowledge, truth. He has revealed to you that which he has revealed to the Father. The task which a servant must perform, listen, is often laborious. The slave's work is strenuous. It's hard. But the yoke Jesus has laid on those who are His friends is easy. And His burdens are light. Because we are children of God and we know that in the end, no matter what happens to this flesh, we will live for eternity with our Savior and our King and our Lord. You want to be a friend and not a foe of Jesus. And the fruit of that friendship is love. That's the reality. So we've seen the rule, we've seen the reality, and now let us look finally at the results. So not only is there a command to love, a a regard, an emphasis to love, as He has loved us, and not only does Jesus Christ give a clarification of what it looks like for you and I to be a friend of Jesus Christ, but when you are a friend of Jesus, I want you to understand there is a result that comes from it. Notice here in this verse, the importance. He says this in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would abide. That would mean a remain, continue in, connected to Christ. This fruit that emerges is fruit that emerges from mission, fruit from the proclamation of the gospel, the fruit from the specific ministry for which God has blessed you with, with your spiritual gifts for the edification of the body of Christ. In fruit, in short, it's converted souls. Listen, there is no doubt that you have been chosen from the foundations of the world, my friend. You cannot get away from that truth in the Word of God. This wasn't a choosing based upon your merits, but rather based upon a sovereign will of God. And we're reminded of this truth in John chapter 6. I mean, just read John chapter 6, it's so clear. He says, no one here can come to me unless the Father who sent Him draws him. Listen, the Spirit of is the one who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Verse 67, The word that I've spoke to you are spirit and life, but, verse 64, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray Him. He selected all 12. He chose all 12. He knew who would reject Him. And He was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to Me unless it has been granted him from the Father. It's almost laughable to think you can work your way into the kingdom of God. All that the Father gives me will come to me, he says. The one who comes to me I will never cast out. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven. Not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Now this is the will of Him who sent me. That of all that He has given me, I lose nothing. There's security in that, my friend. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. You did not choose me, but I chose you. No one argues that theologically. Now the argument comes in how did he choose? Was it conditional election or unconditional election? That's the debate. But know this, God knows and sees all because He is in the beginning as equally as he is in the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and end and He knows all things. And as we look at Ephesians 1, 3-6, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him and by predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, not your works. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graciously bestowed on us in the beloved. Listen, the elects are those who the whosoever wills, and the non elects are those who the whosoever will not. I'm not here to determine God's standard and who he's chosen the foundations of the world. My job and your job is to spread the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and beg you and plead with you to repent and turn to God and let's leave God up to the rest. Because He is a good God. And every perfect gift that comes from God is from God. Know this, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and become a child of the Most High God, you, my friend, will exemplify the characteristic of love and you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit like what we see in Galatians. Flip over there. Galatians chapter 5, Great Electric Power Company. If you want a little helpful tool to get there. Galatians 5.22 He says, walk by the Spirit. And you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you do not do the things you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, and drunkenness, carousing, and all things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Number one, it's love. If you're born again, you, you exemplify the fruit of the Spirit it begins with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Listen, against such things there is no law. If you're loving, if you have a joy, if you're patient, kind, you, you enjoy goodness, if you're walking in faithfulness, gentleness, and there's self-control, who who? can bring anything against you. How are those things working out in your life? Listen, you will bear fruit if you are saved. Make no mistake. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And those who are truly saved will never be alone. They will always be accompanied by good works. It's not the good works that save you. It's the byproduct of what God has done in you. And thus, when you fail and when you walk in the flesh, you repent, like John 1 John 1.9 says, that is written to the Christian. You confess your sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But listen, conversion, truly being born again, a child of God, a friend of Jesus Christ, not only ends itself in the fruit of the Spirit, but also in the fruit of Conversion. Because He's given you the message of the Gospel. And He wants you to go into the highways and byways and to proclaim it. John four thirty six. Even now he who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that he who sows and he who reaps, reaps may rejoice together. Listen, this whole Christianity thing, this body of Christ thing is teamwork. It's teamwork. Everything that happens from the PowerPoints to the video to the lights to the seating to the flooring to the microphone to the coffee you drink to the food you eat is all done in unity for one person. That is gospel ministry. Because we rejoice together. Listen, you may not be the one who reaps every time. And you may not be the one who sows every time. But the friend of God, The children of God, we all play a part together and we reap the benefit of fruit of conversion. So when I tell you the 78 people have put their faith in Jesus Christ that I know of, that's just the ones who have professed it publicly to us. This is a team effort. It ain't just me. I'm doing my part. You're doing your part. We're working together. You give your times, your offerings. We're better to buy the equipment. Pay for the internet. Pay for the computer. It's all a part of the same task. Tith- we are partners for the gospel. And none of us get the glory. We say praise God. Because He is the one who saves. 1 Corinthians 3.4-8 says for when one says I am of Paul or another I am of Paul or we not mere men what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. Even as the Lord gave to each one. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. So then, we need, we need to pay attention here. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. I am Nothing but the vessel by which God uses to accomplish His purpose. That's it. I'm just a vessel. And if I think more highly of myself than I ought to think, watch out because God will put me in my place, and so He will with you. It's God who causes the growth. Now He who plants and He who waters are one. But each will receive his own reward according to his labor. Listen, don't you get discouraged from taking out the trash. Don't you be discouraged because you are the one who cleans up after all these messy people when they come here and leave the trash laying around. Don't you be discouraged because you have to make sure the filters are changed in the AC. Don't you be discouraged because you spend hours editing. Don't you be discouraged because you spend hours and hours practicing, working, learning how to play a bass guitar, a guitar, whatever it is. Don't be discouraged. We're all in this together and every single one of us have a special function. So it is with the body of Christ. Everybody plays a role and if you're not playing a role, you're missing out. Because God's design is not for you to come plop down Sunday morning in a comfortable seat in nice air conditioner with good lighting and hear a great message from an amazing preacher. No, we're here to serve the body of Christ. Somebody has to do everything. And we have a household of people in this church that serve the Lord Jesus Christ and they serve Him well. And I give God glory for that. Thank you. For all you've done in 2021, and I look forward to five more years, ten more years, twenty more years, as long as God gives me the ability to open my mouth and proclaim the Gospel, I want you to know I'll be faithful in doing it. I need your help. We all need to work together. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. D.I. Carson said, one purpose of election then is that the disciples who have been so blessed with revelation and understanding should win others to Christ. When we are abiding in Christ, you don't care about the things of this world. Those are meaningless to you. Doesn't mean you don't need things a house, a car, clothing, pay your bills, electricity, all those things. But it isn't about your greed, it's simply about your need because you are focused on what God's task is for you. And that is of eternal value. What should it profit a man he gained the whole world and forfeit his soul? He closes out this final proclamation. His final desire. He says, this I command you, that you love one another. Listen, it all comes back down to loving one another. He began with love and He ends with love and everything else is sandwiched in between. Listen, the people in this world may fool you. They may lead you to think that you are their friends, But know this. If they have not love, they are a foe. They have not Christ. Doesn't mean they don't need Christ doesn't mean you this morning don't need Christ. But at some point you have to swallow your pride and realize you can't make it into the kingdom of God in your own strength, in your own ability. But that you must simply repent and believe the gospel and be saved. You may be the only Jesus. Hear me up really close. You may be the only Jesus people see so when you fail swallow your pride admit your wrong and ask for forgiveness so that you and i can exemplify the love of christ this i command you he says that you love one another let's pray well thank you for listening to our program today we pray that you were blessed and trust that you will join us again If you do not have a church home, Pastor Stuart Guthrie would like to personally invite you to join in person at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, or you can visit them on their website at familybiblefellowship.org. May God bless you this week as you walk with him.